Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas, a podcast for mamas created by mamas. We discuss ancestral food, cooking, feeding our families, and holistic living with the everyday modern mom. We are Corey and Christine, two mamas on a mission to nourish our families holistically while keeping it real in today's crazy world. Follow us on this adventure and enjoy the stories and information we share. Today's episode is sponsored by the Nurtured Foundations online course. The Nurtured Foundations course is a podcast style course to teach parents how to start solids with their baby. Are you a parent with a child from zero to 24 months? Well, then this online course is for you. This is a comprehensive course that empowers parents to start solid foods in a confident and safe way and raise adventurous and healthy eaters from the start. We cover topics such as when to start solids, the most nutrient-dense foods to feed your babies, recipes, troubleshooting, how to prevent picky eating, and so much more. If you want information on this course, go to nourishthelittles.com and click on the link nurtured foundations online course you can also find a link to the nurtured foundations online course on my instagram bio click on the link and look for nurtured foundations online course welcome back to modern ancestral mamas this is Christine from Nourish the Littles, and I'm joined by my co-host, Corey, from For Nutrients Sake. And today, we are continuing our series that we started a few episodes back that we've decided to title, How to Choose the Best XYZ. So the previous episode we did was on eggs, um, how to choose the best eggs in the grocery store. And today we're, we are going to be discussing how to choose the best flour. And we, not flour as in the, pl- well, flowers, but as in flour, what you bake with. Um, but we are going to break down, dissect, dive deep into the discussion of flour. And I didn't even know that we could get this far into it. <laughs> Um, and I'm, my head is spinning with, uh, this outline that Corey and I prepped, but yeah, it, it apparently can go much deeper than what we have here. And, um, it's possible that we'll, um, circle back and touch on this subject again in the future. But for now, we're going to share with you guys how to choose the best flower options in the grocery store. Yeah. And to clarify, we are only going to be covering wheat. We're not going to be going into the gluten-free options or the alternative flowers. We're just going to talk about wheat. Um, and I posted on my Instagram to see if anybody needed or anybody had questions that they wanted us to, to um, touch on on this episode. And I got a lot of really good questions, really interesting responses, some things that I hadn't even thought about. Um, And we are going to get to some of those questions on this episode. 
and we are going to save some of those for another episode because really this could probably be a whole season worth of episodes if we wanted to keep going on this route. So today we're going to focus on wheat. And we did talk about some grains in the most, um, in episode 17 with Allison Kay, um, but we were mostly focusing on non-wheat grains. We touched a tiny bit on wheat in that episode, but there we discussed mostly non-wheat grains. So if you are interested in learning more about fermenting other grains aside from wheat, you can go back and listen to season two, episode 17 with Allison Kay. And Corey, why don't you share with us where we pulled some of our sources because this episode is very source heavy. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, the main, um, books that I pulled from are Flower Lab by Adam uh, Leonti, I think is how you say his name, and The Essential Homegrown Flower Book by Sue Becker. I also used Nourishing Traditions um, and Sourdough School. Um, Sourdough School is by Vanessa Kimball. And um, then The Einkorn Cookbook by Carla Bartolucci, who is the person who created Jovial. Um, and then we will put all of these and the links to the uh, websites that I pulled from in the show notes. If you want to go do more research and dive deeper into this, you can because there's there's a lot that you could learn <laughs> about um, wheat and flour. Mm. And normally, guys, we start with a question related to the topic of the show. But because we think that this is going to be a lengthier episode and a little more meaty, um, we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. And so to set the stage for discussion, we're going to start off with breaking down and uh, explaining what what exactly wheat is. So Corey, can you please tell our listeners, what is wheat? (laughs) Okay, so... Wheat is a member of the grass family, and the part that we eat is the seed. It's also called the berry, and um, there are uh, four parts to a wheat seed or berry. The chaff or the hull is the outer part that is um, protects it while it's growing. Uh, once it has the wheat plant has grown and been harvested. The chaff is removed. It's kind of a papery um, feeling little outer hull Um, that's removed before it's milled and that is not eaten. Um, The next part is the bran. So that's the outer layer of the wheat berry that is responsible for protecting what is inside of the seed uh, while the seed is waiting to be planted. This part, it's kind of a waxy, harder outer shell. This is full of um, the B vitamins, as well as iron and some other trace minerals. It is also where there's a lot of fiber and some protein. And this is really interesting. This is where there are digestive enzymes that aid in grain digestion. So in that outer bran. Okay, so then there's the germ. 
The germ is what would sprout if this were to be um, planted, if the seed were to be planted. So the germ is where is the life of the seed. Um, it's a super small part of the grain. It's only about four or five percent of the of the full total of the grain. Um, but this is the most nutrient dense part. So this is where the uh, vitamin E is. There are antioxidants, minerals, phytonutrients, B vitamins. This is a really um, kind of powerhouse bit of the of the seed. So then the next part is the endosperm. This is the biggest portion of the seed, and this is what is used to make white flour. So when um, when flour is made, you know they they take the the seed and they grind it up and then they sift out the bran and the germ and they leave the endosperm and the endosperm is just protein and starch and um it's pretty much aside from the protein and starch just nutritionally void like just does not have a lot of value to add in terms of vit uh, vitamins and minerals um I kind of okay. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna. Okay, so I've got. Um, I'm trying to uh, rephrase it for listeners. So, if you were looking at the berry when you're when you're looking at the plant mm -hmm. and you're talking about the seed, okay, in the seed you're saying the seed has the chaff in the hole the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. It has all of these four parts. Yes. Correct? Yes. Okay. Um, and it sounds like the most nutrient-dense parts, well, is the germ and the bran, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. But white flour is literally just the endosperm. They completely remove the bran and the germ. Yeah. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah. Oh, now I have so many questions. <laughs> see, see how um, far we could go into this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, and I think I, um, I know we're going to touch on this later, but just, just so I can understand this better, wheat flour, I'm guessing, has the bran and the germ in it, along with the endosperm. Yeah. So whole wheat flour. Oh, whole wheat. Whole wheat. Would contain okay, got it. All of those parts, yes. Yep. So the okay. whole wheat would have. Oh, also the chaff in the hole. No. So the chaff in the hole are removed no. very early, early, early on. They're not. Okay. You're, but you're not even wheat. really storing the seed with the chaff. Um. Okay. But whole wheat has bran, German endosperm. Got it. Mm -hmm. Corey, I yeah. think you had a really good description of how to just, yeah, a, a, a good uh, way of describing this. Right. So if you think about the seed um, as, think about it in terms of an egg, right? So the, mm -hmm. the bran would be the outer part, the shell. The germ would be the yolk. And if it were to be a sprouted germ, then you could consider it like a, a fertilized yolk. Um, and then the endosperm is the white part of the egg. 
So that's where all of the mm-hmm. protein and the nutrients are. So the the not sorry, the protein and the starch are to be able to feed the growing um seed. Because a seed yeah. is, you know, a potential new plant. Um totally. And kind of the interesting part about a seed is that you know, it comes with all of its own protection and um, uh, what is needed to grow a new plant. So the bran is there to protect the seed until it can be planted. Um, then mm. it is the germ is there to sprout. So that's where the new plant would come from. And the endosperm is there to feed the new growing plant until it can I'm grow sorry. roots. Can we just like take a moment here to pause and just like glorify our creator? That, yeah. <laughs> that like this is what he thought of? I'm I I don't know. This is just so cool to me that this is how a plant works. And I'm sure I learned this in uh, high school biology. School. Yeah, totally. Yeah, high school biology yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, but you just don't think about this when you are discussing flour that you're going to use to bake. But I can also see why this is so valuable to understand when it comes to the flour conversation, because now you can see the difference in nutrient density between just white flour versus like whole wheat flour, for example. Yeah, and so then um, if you if you can understand, you know, the different parts of it, then you can understand um, why you might remove things or not remove things. Um, so we'll get into a little that more in a, in a minute. Um, but and and yeah. also you can understand what it is you're buying at the grocery store. Yeah, exactly. Because is, I, yeah. That's the whole point of the whole point of, of this, this series. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Because I was definitely that person. I mean, I'm not a baker. You are much stronger between the two of us when it comes to baking. But I am that person at the grocery store that's like, okay, yeah, whatevs, white flour, whole wheat flour. You know, it, it doesn't, it, there's no context in my mind for what it is exactly. Yeah. So. And I think for such a long time, you know, like the 80s and 90s, that was like, you have to eat whole grains, right? But, um, you know, if you go to the grocery store, this is like, we're going to talk about bread in another episode, you guys. But if you go to the grocery store and buy a a, a loaf of whole wheat, you're not, it's going to be maybe like 20% whole wheat flour mixed with a white flour, um, just because of the protein content that makes it easier to make bread. Um, okay. Christine, do you want to go, do you want to cover some history for us a little bit? Sure. I'll do the history part. Okay. (laughs) So wheat has been cultivated for around 10,000 years, um, which means that there's about 25,000 different varieties that can be grown in all sorts of different climates and conditions. And basically, um, Wheat started as a crop in the ancient Mesopotamia. So for, you know, I don't know, the history buffs out there. Um, 
it has been genetically modified through evolution and cross-pollination. So when we're talking about genetically modified here, we're not referring, we are not referencing the modern day conventional GMO um, that is done in labs and stuff like that. This is, I I don't even want to use the word natural, but I guess. No, it is though. It's like, it's, it's a cross-pollination. So it absolutely can happen. It could happen with intervention, but it could also happen just, just with breezes or bugs, you know, taking pollen from one plant and putting it into another plant. Um, so it absolutely yeah. can be completely natural and um, this is not something that you're, that you need to really be concerned with. Like this is not, this right. is not a red flag. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. So wheat has essentially been cross poll, um, has been genetically modified through cross pollination over thousands of years. and the result of this is now there are many different varieties of wheat. And in the past, in, you know, throughout history, flour has been sifted for centuries. But most of the time, this type of flour that was sifted, so when we referenced above and we said that the um, the bran and the germ were sifted out and we were left with the endosperm. So this like flour that has been sifted used to be reserved just for the rich. Um, And it's only recently in the 1900s that we have actually started understanding all of the nutrients in the different parts of the wheat and offering like different, um, different options in stores and like using different options. But originally white flour was just for the rich people. Yeah. And I mean, think about it. Like they started sifting things with reed um, mm. sifters, you know, or sieves. Yeah. They, they're not, they weren't super, they weren't catching everything. Um, so even if it was more refined, it was still wasn't perfect like it is now. Um, so, but yeah, it was definitely reserved for the rich. And it's so interesting, you know, because if you think back in, um, pre-industrial world people who were overweight were the the, it it was a rich person's problem you know it was not somebody Mm. um working (laughs) you know it wasn't a working class issue um and so then there all of these upper class people were the ones that were allowed to eat um the sifted flour. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was um, a lot more time consuming. And, and it's really interesting. There, there was, I think in world war two, there was a push to not um, sell sifted flour because um, during the war effort, they, they, the government decided they couldn't be throwing away or not throwing away. When they sift out the flour, they give the the bran and the and the um, germ to animals. Um, but during times of war, you know they're going, oh my gosh, we can't be throwing out twenty percent of our of our harvest of wheat. Um, so, all right, so 
we're going to break down what, how they classify wheat and then what these classifications mean. This is next on our docket. Um, there are six classifications. These are protein and moisture content. So this is what's called hard wheat or soft wheat. There is growing season. This would be winter or spring. And then there is color, and that would be red or white. Color has, um, the color just has to do with the color. It doesn't have anything to do with the nutrition. But the, the other two or the other four um, classifications can change the um, nutrition content. Okay, so hard wheat. So, okay, wait a minute. Let me just say, if you are going to be buying um, specific grains and specific flours, you can get more specific with buying for like um, hard white winter wheat. Okay. Or you could buy soft white winter wheat. Um, but you're really not going to be buying those specifically unless you're buying them from a specialty mill or you're buying your own grain. Um, and you're milling it, you know, at home. Okay. So just to give you a kind of super high view overhead of this hard wheat has a lower moisture content and a higher protein. Okay, so this is what is used for bread flour. Um, the protein in that is what is needed to create and hold a rise in the bread. Okay, soft wheat has a higher um, moisture content and a lower protein. So this is going to be more a more crumble, crumbly flour. So it's going to be better for things like pastries and cookies and biscuits and pancakes, anything that you don't need the structure of a rise for. Um, and then winter versus spring has to do with when it's planted. Obviously winter wheat has less protein. Spring wheat has more protein. And then, like I said, the red and the white, it just describes the color. It doesn't describe the um, flavor or the uh, nutrition. Now, red wheat does produce a much darker flour and a much darker bread. Um, so if you want to be like getting into milling your own grain, white makes white wheat makes a more makes a lighter end result product. When you're talking about the darker colored grain, so like the red, is that is that something like rye flour? No, no. Rye is a no, completely different um, grain. Okay. So this is this is Not a wheat, but it, there's just wheat. different colors of wheat. Yeah. There's Got it. there's even okay. like purple ones, but those are really um uh not common uncommon okay. <laughs> uncommon yeah um okay so if i'm understanding correctly and i've i've definitely heard this before as i've sort of dabbled in sourdough i am not an expert guys i don't make sourdough regularly um that's definitely Corey's wheelhouse but um I have, I do understand that you need a higher protein flour to be able to make those like rustic breads because like what you were saying, it's the protein 
that when you're like stretching it and kneading it is what keeps the bonds strong so that then it will rise and like hold its shape properly while baking is, is, am I understanding this correctly? Yeah. So especially if you're trying to get that like really holy sort of, you know, the the sourdough that has big holes in it. um, Mm -hmm. Those are created by bubbles forming, you know, inside of the bread and um, air bubbles. And so then you want the bread to hold that shape as it bakes. Um, You can tell the difference um, if you are to bake a bread that is fully whole wheat, you will get a much denser bread um, than you would if you, if you use a bread flour. Um, Mm -hmm. Most people use a bread flour. Most, most home bakers use a bread flour. It's much easier to get a consistently good loaf using a bread flour. Um, If you're going to be So we touched on, on, you know, this, but like weather will affect the grain where it's grown, when it's grown, when it's, when it's harvested, um, and will affect the amount of protein that is in a specific grain. So, um, so in a conventional flour, they are taking in a conventional, like all purpose flour, they're taking a combination of hard wheats and soft wheats, winter wheats, whatever, all of these, and they're mixing them together to create a consistent flour. Um, Mm. So that's what you're getting with an all-purpose. It's a consistent flour. It's going to be the same protein. It'll say, usually, depending on who you're, what brand you buy, but it'll usually say the amount of protein in the flour. And the amount of protein makes a difference. You know, it can be like one or two percentages and it'll make a difference in your final product. Um, my kids made, um, cookies with bread flour the other day and I just like could not, I was like, what did you do? <laughs> they were so like a, they're just a weird texture cause it's not the right flour for making cookies. Um, oh, interesting. Like maybe denser for cookies. I mean, okay. So they also had, they made up their own recipe. God bless them. Um, so (laughs) that definitely had something to do with it, but it's, they're a little bit more chewy. Like they're a little, it's, and not like a nice kind of like gooey, chewy cookie, but like a ready sort of chewy. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. 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 Not, not the best uh, concoction they've ever. Yeah. Not the (laughs) chewy that you want for a cookie. No. Well, because the way I am understanding this is you want a lower protein content for baked goods such as pastries, cookies. Quick breads. Yeah. Those kinds of things. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And a higher protein for breads like a sourdough or a yeasted bread. Anything okay. that you that need um, that gluten formation in. Got it. Okay. All right. So you touched a little bit on commercial flour, but I want I want you actually to repeat it again because I really want to emphasize the difference between commercial flour and its counterpart. 
Okay. All right. So commercial flour is usually, usually if you go into the grocery store, you're going to find all-purpose flour. You're going to find bread flour. You're going to find cake flour. You're going to find self-rising flour and you're going to find whole wheat flour. Okay. So we're going to go, I'll, I'll talk about what these are. Um, all-purpose flour is a combination where they have, you know, taken, um, hard wheat, soft wheat, all of these, mix them together. They have removed the bran and the germ, um, and they have created a very consistent flour that is good for all the things. So, you know, it can be used for quick breads and cookies. It can be used for making bread. Um, it, it's a general flour. Um, then a, um, a bread flour is going to just be a higher protein flour. This is going to be made from hard wheat because this is the higher protein wheat. And it is also going to be sifted. So you're going to have that bran and that germ again removed. Um, cake flour, this is something that is, um, uh, very, very, very fine. And it is, um, a high moisture, low protein made from a soft winter wheat. And it is absolutely sifted. I don't know if you've ever baked with cake flour, but it is like almost velvety. Like it's just so smooth and so, um, silky and velvety. Um, and it does make delicious, wonderful cakes, but there's not much there. There's not much to it. It's just like very, very fine and very smooth. And then the self-rising flour is just an all-purpose flour that's had salt and the leavening agent, like a baking soda or baking powder added to it. Um, and then whole wheat flour is going to be made from milling the whole grain and it is not sifted and therefore the bran and the germ are not removed. Got it. Okay. Thanks for breaking that down. And so all of these you can find at your, you know, any grocery store essentially. And I do think that, yeah, we're going to cover this later, but I want to talk about why flowers are bleached or bromated or have, now I understand why they have the nutrients added back into them. Um, why they're enriched, I should say. Yes. Now I understand why these flowers are Do you want enriched. to talk about that now? Um, yeah, actually, let's go into that now because I feel like it um, it makes more sense. Okay. And then we can go back and talk about milling flour. Okay. But yeah, so explain. Um, so in addition to these flowers that you will find at the grocery store, it's it could be that you see a bag that says something like unbleached white flour or enriched white flour. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think bromade is actually on, like it's not something that's advertised, right? It might be an ingredient in it. You'll have to explain that. Uh, sometimes you can, sometimes they'll put it on the package where it'll say bromated flour. Okay. Um. I think it's probably not as common anymore as it was, but, uh, you, 
maybe should look at the back of the of the flower. I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I didn't look up like what companies use bromate. Um Yeah, so I don't know. But I know like I'm in more like I have seen it in our local store where it's a package of flour and it says, you know, bleached and bromate, bromated or something like that. Um and I do know that for sure Bob's Red Mill flour does not use um, bleach or bromate. So, um, okay, so bromate, like let's just talk about what that is. Um, potassium bromate is a chemical that is added to some, not all, um, commercial flours. This is a chemical that aids in creating the elasticity in for rising flour or, you know, making bread. So a rise to create a rise. Um, and this is a chemical that has been banned in a lot of other countries. I'm pretty sure like all of Europe. Um, the EU has decided that it is, um, uh, wait a minute, maybe I'm confusing my things. Let me double check this. Okay, I cannot remember if the EU said this is carcinogenic or not. So don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> uh, potassium bromate is supposedly a um, an oxidizing product. So then in theory, when you bake your baked goods, it should have all disappeared by the time they are finished baking. However, um, you know, if you don't bake your cookies or brownies to the point where they're totally cooked through, then you're not cooking all of that out. Um, all right, so the FDA has not banned this. This is not a banned substance. However, they do discourage it being used by um, bakers. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah. And it actually, it looks like um, it has been linked to cancer in some lab studies. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. I was yeah, right. Yeah, so it looks like the <laughs> FDA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you were right. Um, but it's not banned in the U.S. However... There are also a lot of things not banned in the U.S. that I know this. <laughs> That's another rabbit hole. I know. Um, we're not going to go down that one right now. Uh, let's talk about bleach because bleach is that is for sure a term that we see at the grocery store. Bleached, unbleached. Oh, for sure, and. That's a that's a kind of scary word to put on food, don't you think? Like. I don't want bleach yeah. on my food. <laughs> um, okay, so this is not the same bleach, supposedly, as, you know, the bottle of bleach in your in your laundry room. Um, but uh, chemically, it is very similar, and it does pretty much the same thing. So it is there to make flour white. Um, some of what I was reading said that the bromate and the bleach 
what they do to flour is something that can be done with what's called aging flour. Um, so this is something they used to do. They would age it and it would create more um, of an opportunity for protein um, or it would um, make the flour turn whiter if you age it. But, you know, because um, the commercial food industry is trying to pump out product, um, they came up with these chemical ways of making them happen, making what can happen naturally happen much faster. Um, so it's the, I would personally, I would avoid bromated and bleached flowers. Um, so if you're shopping at the grocery store for flowers, look for unbleached and make sure to check the ingredients. For potassium bromate. For potassium bromate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then let's enriched. skip down to. Yeah. Yeah. And I really want to talk about enriched flour. Yeah. Okay. So this is very common. Um, and it makes total sense. If you understand that, you know, the grain itself, a whole grain has all of these beautiful things, all of these, it's, I mean, it's been called nature's perfect food by people and like wheat and grains are staples in, um, you know, in, in food for like almost all of history. Um, so when you understand that this food has all of these things in it, and then we just take out half of it, you know, (laughs) so what enriching does is adds back in supposedly the things that were taken out. However, they are only adding back in, um, iron and then the B vitamins. So that's, I don't know, niacin all those B vitamins. I didn't write them all down. Um, (laughs) But those are the, um, and then, so then also potentially sometimes they add calcium. That's not always added, but for it to be an enriched flour, they have to have the B vitamins and iron. And the FDA does regulate how much of these things are added back in. And the idea is that they are being added back in, in the right, um, uh, amounts so that they then replicate what was taken out when they took out the bran and the germ. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So essentially, white flour is a dead food or, yeah, I would say it's a dead food. Um, yeah, I mean, especially so if it's order- been like bleached and bromated. Right. And so what they're trying to do is knowing that people are going to be eating a lot of it, they're enriching it with nutrients. And I'm going to emphasize synthetic nutrients. So these nutrients, your body's not going to recognize these as well as it would the natural counterparts of it. So, So at the grocery store, 
we're going to go because we really want this to be super clear for our listeners. We want them to understand that if you're standing in the baking aisle and you're looking at all of the flowers, you know, these are the options that you're looking at. You want to avoid the enriched flower. You want to avoid the bleached flower, um, anything that says bromate, potassium bromate. And so then you've got the other, the other side of this, which we're going to talk about right now, which is organic and non-GMO. And I think this is probably one of your biggest takeaways from today's episode, which is that number one, there, you know, contrary to popular belief, or I don't even know if this is popular belief, but I, I feel like a lot of people think this, Mm -hmm. there is no genetically modified wheat currently commercialized anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world at all. Yeah. At all. Right. At all. So wheat is not genetically modified in a lab. It has been, like we said, naturally modified over thousands of years, um, through cross-pollination and, um, Maybe farmers doing it. Evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, But just so everyone knows, there is no GMO wheat. However, one of the issues with non-organic wheat is that it is commonly sprayed with glyphosate. And glyphosate is um, an ingredient. It's in the popular weed killer Roundup, but it's also used um, often in conventional agricultural models because it's a weed killer. And so it will be used before planting and also before harvest. It's um, especially in like wetter northern regions because it's used as a desiccant. It helps to dry out the wheat and it dries out the wheat faster. Um, It's another way of cutting corners. And unfortunately, um, we haven't done an episode on glyphosate yet, but I'm sure we will. Um, it is a carcinogenic. It's, uh, if anyone wants to look further into glyphosate, I highly recommend Stephanie Seneff. Um, she has devoted her life to studying the effects of glyphosate. Um, Zach Bush is also someone else who talks a lot about glyphosate. Um, there have been a lot of court cases, especially recently, um, about people that are getting sick with cancer and they've worked with glyphosate as an ingredient. So both Corey and I feel strongly that, unfortunately, as tainted as sometimes the organic label itself can be, organic wheat is sort of a non-negotiable because in this way you are avoiding glyphosate being sprayed on your wheat. Um, Right. And it's not that it's just sprayed on it. Like it's not, it gets absorbed into the wheat. It does not come off. This is not something that, oh, you know, well, we're removing the brand. So therefore we're removing the glyphosate. No, no, no. It's not how this works. Yeah. It's not water soluble. It gets soaked Um, into the wheat. It is, you know, permeated into the whole thing. Um, It's there. Yeah. So number one decision to make when you're at the grocery store looking at the flower aisle is, is it organic? Um, And then from there, you can double check and make sure it's not bleached or enriched or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. I would definitely go organic first and then 
try not to get those other things. And then maybe if I was like, you know, farther along, I would start looking at getting whole wheat versus an all purpose. Um, yeah. Okay. I do want to go talk about. Yeah. Let's talk about milling. Yes. Milling. Um, and I, yeah, cause we're not necessarily going to get into home milling. Um, but I want to, we w- I mean, we can a little bit, but like what I really want to talk about is the history of milling. Um, because I think it's actually really important in understanding why we are where we are. Um, so historically, you know, wheat would have been um, harvested and uh, stored in jars and stuff in caves where it was dark and cold. Um, and as long as you keep the wheat at a, at a fairly decent temperature and you are not um, – and it's not getting, you know, wet or something where it can produce mold um, – and there's no um, pests and bugs and stuff getting into it, wheat will last sort of indefinitely. Um, so these villages, you know, that were growing wheat, they would, they were basically, either the women would be milling their own wheat by hand, um, or they would have, in their homes, or they would have a local, like, town mill, Okay. And these were, the way that they were doing this was with stone. So either the women were doing that, you know, rocking motion with a sort of mortar and pestle, or they had these big stone mills where they, the two stones kind of ground together to produce the the flour. And people, each household would kind of go to the mill um, once a week or whatever to get their flour. Um, now to get their flour milled, right? Like they would bring their wheat. Well, yeah. So maybe it would, I I suppose it would depend on the local economy, but, um, you would either take your wheat that you had grown to the mill and have it milled, or you could just go buy flour. Um, uh, Michael Pollan's documentary cooked is, has a whole, um, you know, mini series on, um, on wheat. And, and they feature a local mill in that, and it's fascinating um, if you're interested in, in that sort of thing. Um, okay, so, so what happens in milling is obviously the chaff has already been removed, right? So that, that papery hull is gone. We're not, we're not considering that. The wheat berry is um, broken down, and once that, once that, outer bran is broken uh, and the endosperm is broken, the oils that are in those parts of the wheat start are exposed to air and light. And so then they start to oxidize and they can go rancid. Okay. So it's just like any other um, oil, Mm -hmm. you know, it can go, it can go bad. Um, so to yeah. keep it from spoiling, you would get your wheat regularly, you know, like once a week or something, if you weren't milling it yourself every day. Um, so you get it fresh, essentially. Yeah, so you're getting it fresh. Now, 
in the 1870s, something called a roller mill is introduced to the, um, to the industry, to the flour industry. And this completely like revolutionizes the way that we make flour. So instead of those two stone mills, you know, that we have going, that are grinding against each other that are powered by wind or water or a, um, a mule or something like that, you have these industrial steel rollers that um, just, so, so before, if you wanted to make your white flour, you'd have to sift out, you know, with a sieve, sift out the bran and the germ. Mm-hmm. Now with these roller, roller mills, they are incredibly efficient with removing the bran and the germ and only putting out the endosperm. So all you're getting is that really nice, you know, starch. Um, so because it was way more efficient for the, um, the mill, because you could, you could produce a lot more flour in a lot less time. And, um, you are not having to sift it. So then there's a whole nother step that you're not having to do by about 1910. Um, so this is within 30 years of, of the invention of this of these roller mills. They the steel roller mills have basically taken over the local um, mill industries. They've just like put them out of business. And then by about 1920, all of America was essentially eating this refined white flour. Like they'd just given up whole wheat. So. Oh, wow. This is fascinating because this actually now makes me think of um, Weston A. Price and phys- nutrition and physical degeneration. Right. So when he was doing his travels, it was around the 1930s and 40s. And so this would have been approximately 15, only, only 15 to 20 years after, let's say, the full introduction of white flour and you know, maybe canned foods and sugar and I don't know, stuff like that. And already within that time frame, he was seeing um, physical degeneration in these cultures um, amongst these generations of people. That's fascinating. Yeah. And as we mentioned before, like when you sift all of that out, you are creating a dead product. It's devoid of nutrients. Yeah. Yeah, there's pretty much nothing for your body in a white flower. So, this is very good to know. <laughs> um, this is so interesting, Corey. Okay, so it's the steel roller mill yeah. that took over, and before we were using stone mills. Yeah, I mean, there was other ways of, of milling flour, but the main one that, that was used was the stone mills. Um, I know you didn't say you were going to go into home milling, but can I ask a home milling question? Okay, all right, yeah, go. Um, well, so I do not own a mill. You do, though, right? Yeah. Yes, I do. So is yours 
a stone mill then? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you can buy different types of mills um, for home right. milling. I bought a stone mill. Yes. It's the, the main one that is a stone mill company is called the Mock Mill. They're out of Germany. And um, they have different levels of, you know, expense of the product that you can buy. But yes, there are two stones inside of my mill that kind of, they, you know, they turn the opposite direction of each other. And you can, mm-hmm. to control the, um, the fineness of the grind of the flour, you oh, can yeah, yeah. move them farther apart or closer together. Um, oh, this is so cool. Yeah. So, yes, I just don't know. Um, and you can, and when can you, you buy whole wheat at the store, at the grocery stores, you can often find whole wheat that's been stone milled. It'll say stone milled whole wheat. And stone mill, if you, if you bought like a bag of, of roller mill, roller, yeah, roller milled wheat, whole wheat flour, and a bag of stone milled whole, whole wheat flour, and you kind of, you know, held them up against each other, you could see the difference in the, um, in the fineness of it. Usually stone milled is not as um, consistent. Hmm. That's so interesting. Um, are we just going to, will we go into the home milling later just because that's there's I, a lot more? Yeah, to I think that that's just like a whole nother episode. I think we can, if you have another question, we could go do it now. But I think that probably that's a whole nother episode. Okay. One more question, which is just, so essentially you're purchasing your wheat berries mm-hmm. whole mm-hmm. and then you are grinding them when you're ready to make a uh, bread product yes okay can you also grind things like buckwheat or yes. millet in it you can grind oh. I, I mean depend okay so this is going to be depending on what mill you buy because um, mm-hmm. different mills right. can handle different things um, but the one that I have, you can make, you can mill rice, you can mill um, corn, you can, other, I think you can mill pretty much anything. Wow. There's certain ones that are, that you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to mill um, like peanuts or uh, those kinds of, because you can mill legumes, but not peanuts and not other nuts anything that would leave like a film, you know, cause peanuts have a much higher fat yes. content. So they could leave right. like a film on the stones. So you wouldn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But generally, yes, you can do any of the grains for the most part, any of the legumes. Um, you would just, you would have to check with your own particular milling product or um, contraption to make sure that you're not, gonna mess it up okay this is this is cool all right folks sounds like i'm getting a stone mill (laughs) ask for one for christmas Um, yeah i i have no idea how expensive they are too and i'm sure that they vary in price so they do they Um, are they can be very expensive um i will say though that from everything that i have heard do not buy the attachment for your KitchenAid. It will burn out your KitchenAid motor. Just oh. buy the actual 
um, buy an actual mill. It's everything that I've read says that it's worth it to just buy the the mill. Don't do it in your um, blender. Don't do it in your KitchenAid. Just get the mill. Um, there was one other thing I thought about saying, but I can't remember what it was. So it must not be that important. <laughs> we should probably switch and talk about ancient grains because I, I feel like, especially for our listeners, these are a hot topic. Yeah. Do you use any of these of the ancient grains? Yes. I use einkorn and kamut. And I've used spelt a few times. But, you know, as I said before, I don't I don't grind anything fresh, so I always buy it um, already ground. Oh, that is what I, you just reminded me. Okay, so if you're going to gr- grind something um, in your – because there are certain times where, like, I don't want – you know, if I'm going to be making something in the morning, um, I don't want to get my mill out and, and grind it up while everybody's asleep. So um, you can store freshly milled grain in the fridge or the freezer, and it will last longer than if it's just out at room temperature. Okay, that was right. like a side note. Yeah, that that I knew, and and even now I'm keeping. So I have organic buckwheat berries, groats, groats, and I'm keeping them in the freezer. And I do have a bag of all-purpose flour, <laughs> organic in your all-purpose freezer. flour. Yeah, in my freezer. Yeah. If it's already milled, keeping it in your freezer is the best option. Okay. That's good to know. I'm not sure the groats make any difference, though. Okay. And don't quote me on that, but I'm not sure they do because they're a whole, they're a whole grain, right? They're, they're yeah. not broken at all. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's get into ancient grains. So there are... Like we said, there's like 25,000 varieties of um, wheat that has um, slowly changed over the last 10,000 years. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so we're just going to go into a couple that are like really popular right now. Those are, um, the first one we're going to talk about is durum wheat, which is maybe not as popular as some of these other ones because durum is not something that you're generally using in your kitchen. This is usually um, something that is just used for making pasta. It is the hardest. I was just about to say, yeah, is this what is found in Italy? Yes. So this is what you're going to okay. – so this and semolina. Semolina is mm-hmm. – there's something about semolina. It's not its own wheat, but it's like maybe – I can't remember exactly what it is. It might be that it's the durum wheat that's been sifted. Don't quote me on that because I can't remember exactly. But semolina – is used for pasta and durum wheat is used for pasta. So if you go to the grocery store and you get like some of the really fancy, you know, pastas, they'll usually say durum wheat pasta or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It is the hardest of the wheat varieties, I think, um, or at least one of the hardest. And it is a high protein, but low gluten potential. So this is why it's really good for mm. pastas. Um, Interesting. Okay. So then we've got einkorn, which is also called emmer or emmer. Um, and I never knew that. The, this one, this grain 
is um, higher in protein and lower in gluten potential, again. But this is, it's a sweeter grain, and it is has kind of like a nutty flavor and kind of buttery. Um, it's really good for quick breads, muffins, pancakes, cookies. Um, it can be used for bread, but because it has a lower gluten potential, um, it's harder to get a really nice uh, gluten structure from it. So it is good to be mixed with other higher gluten grains, such as a hard, um, hard winter wheat. Um, okay, then there's Kamut and Khorasan. Do you know the story of Kamut? I'm sure you've heard this. No, no, I actually don't know this story. And I didn't know that that was the way you pronounced it, Khorasan. That's interesting. Okay, so Kamut is the trademark name of Khorasan. Khorasan is the is the okay. name of the grain, of the wheat. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Got it. And it is, so So the, the story that goes with it is that this grain was found in like the 20s or something in um, a tomb of like a mummy in ancient Egypt or in, in Egypt in an ancient tomb. Um, yeah. And that somebody like snuck out like a jar of seeds from this tomb and brought them, you know, brought them home on their suitcase back to the U.S. to Montana and to their to their father, who was a, a wheat farmer. And they said, Dad, let's try and let's try and plant this. And so they plant it and it grows. And then they start mm-hmm. cultivating it. This story may or may not be true, but, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. a fun one. Um, and uh, the guy who sells Kamut, um, I think his name is Bob Quinn. He's spoken at the Wise Traditions conferences before. Um, he's mm-hmm. quite a character. Yeah, and yes. he, he definitely portrays this story that his... I think it was, I think it's like he claims it to be his story that like it was his dad or his grandfather or something smuggled back this wheat. Um so regardless of where it came from um or how it got to Montana in the first place, they do grow it there and um it is a similar Okay, so what's interesting is is if you look at the grains, the size of the einkorn is smaller and the size of the kamut or the korasan is longer. Um, so, but they both have a low potential for gluten and, um, a, and they, they both kind of like a, a richer flavor and a more buttery flavor. Um, and then korasan also has a higher fiber content. Hmm. I so my understanding too is that Coruscant is organic no matter what. Like there is Kamut no is. right. Kamut is yes. So Kamut and so being there's the no label one. that says. Oh, got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if it is trademarked, Kamut. If it is called you know for Kamut, a fact it's organic. Mm-hmm. That's my yeah. understanding as and, well. Okay. And actually, there's not very many people you can buy it from here in the U.S. I know that you can get it from 
Bob Quinn in Montana mm-hmm. have it shipped. Um, and I've gotten mine from the food nanny via what my friend, what our friend Sloan um, from Simon Says Real Food told us. But I I actually have used it before. And I mean, I really liked it. It was interesting. It was a totally different color than some of the other flowers. Um, definitely a different color than einkorn. And yes, very buttery, mm-hmm. like you like you said. Um, it was almost like a yellowy, had like a yellowish tint to it. And einkorn does fine. too, though. Has a yellow tint einkorn to it. Einkorn does too. Maybe it does. I think um, I usually get whole wheat einkorn. Hmm. So um, you can actually buy Kamut from other places. I You can buy it from... Um, I know you can buy it from Azure. You can buy it from the Redbeckers um, co-ops. You can also buy it from, I think it's Bob's Red Mill sells it. I've seen it in grocery stores. Not the flower. You've seen Kamut? Yeah. So I've seen Kamut in grocery stores, but not the flower. I've seen the whole grains in grocery stores. Oh. So you can buy okay. a bag of Very like whole grain. Um and you can buy that on Amazon. Oh wow. So that I did not know. Yeah. Okay. It's more it's more available, I All think, right. than than not. Okay, so then the last one that I have on our list to talk about is spelt. Now spelt is one of those ones that people will tell you it's not wheat. It is wheat. Um it is technically a wheat. It is less of an issue for a lot of people. This is the same with all of these ancient grains. Um, are less of an issue for people that have um, gluten sensitivities. Not, yeah. not. To, we're not talking about um, celiac in that. Um, so non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Uh, and spelt is that the main difference between these other wheats that we've talked about and spelt is that spelt actually has a tough outer hull. So like these other ones have that paper hull that kind of flies off. Spelt has a harder one that has to be mechanically removed. Um, but the inner, the, in, the grain itself is a much softer grain, um, high in protein, again, lower in gluten potential, and um, has a very sweet flavor to it. It's really good for um, uh, baked goods, not just like sweeter baked goods because it has a sweet profile in and of itself um, and kind of nutty. And then it just, spelt has a really nice flavor. So, all right. Okay. Questions about any of those? Um, do I, do I need to look for organic for these as well? So like einkorn and spelt? I think organic is. Yeah. No matter what. I would say. Yeah. I mean, pretty much any grain. I think organic is. That's high on my list. I would, in general, I would um, 
uh, you look for organic grains over, um, you know, some vegetables even and fruit. Yeah. Well, I was trying, I'm trying to think back to my pantry and a bag of einkorn and I'm trying to think if it has an organic label on it. And I actually don't think it does. Do you have a jovial? Is it jovial? Yeah, I always get jovial. I'm pretty sure there are. And I'm wondering if jovial is similar to Kamut, where jovial is all So Kamut organic. is the trademark name, right, of Coruscant. And so if it says Kamut, you know it's organic. So I'm wondering if jovial is the same idea as that, whereas if it says jovial, I don't know. It's definitely organic. I feel like I, I, I like want to run to my pantry right now and check. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. But, um, may okay, let's. Well, okay. So the well, other thing okay. is, is that um, jovial. I'm pretty sure grows all of their crops in Italy, right? Yes. Yeah. And so it, this is it. That's an entirely different conversation because they don't I'm pretty sure they don't use glyphosate in Italy. So Yeah, actually I think you're right about that. The, I mean buying grains from Europe is an entirely different thing than buying grains from the US or Canada. Yeah, I've heard many anecdotes from friends and family that have traveled overseas and said I don't have issues with bread and pastas when I'm eating them over there Mm -hmm. and I have issues eating them here. Mm -hmm. That's, I wonder who we could interview about that. That would be a fascinating topic. But speaking of that, we just wanted to like, we wanted to share a quick note on gluten, which is that we, we acknowledge the fact that celiac disease is a real disease and there, the people who have celiac should 100% definitely avoid wheat no matter what. Um, but there is a small amount of the population, but, but like celiac disease is actually a pretty small amount of the population. Um, but for the rest of us, gluten is likely not a problem. Um, but what the problem is, and this we really want to emphasize is the modern commodity flour. So when the bran and the germ are removed from the grain, like we've mentioned you know, a few times already. So are all of the compounds that aid in the digestion of the flour. So we talked about how the, the brand, and I think it was the germ had enzymes in it that aided with digestion. And so if you're removing that, then it's going to be a harder product for your body to break down. Mm-hmm. Um, so very similar to like when we pasteurize raw milk and we remove the enzymes that aid in the digestion of lactose, is the same idea with the bran and the germ and flour. Um, And that's not even, so, you know, that's not even taking into account the glyphosate as well. That's like a whole nother layer as to why. Um, and, And I have heard people speculate before that maybe we don't have a gluten sensitivity. We have a glyphosate sensitivity. Um, And who knows? Yeah. But one of the one of the reasons that nourishing traditions advocates for 
the proper preparation of grains is to help our bodies break them down and digest them. Which actually, Corey, you found something really interesting in one of your books. And I, I actually do think that we could bring it up if you wanted to. I don't know. Okay. So, um, yeah, so you're referring to the phytic acid thing and, um, it's, there seems to be kind of making her uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, it's, (laughs) there's, there's fun two schools of thought on this and, um, there's the, you know, the stance from the kind of Weston A. Price community, and there's the stance from the kind of Sue Becker uh, group, um, Bread Becker's group. And um, the, these two different views both kind of make sense. So I'm going to say, like, I will present these to you, these, both of these. And then you go do your own research or you do your own body intuition research and figure out what you think works best um, for your body, for your family, for whatever. I have kind of gotten to the point in my house, I'll just say this, that I'm kind of doing both of these things. Um, I'm okay. So, so here's, here's, let me explain this. There, the two trains of thought are a, um, that phytic acid is a bad thing, right? And that um, it um, needs to be uh, neutralized because it is an anti-nutrient, meaning that it binds to. Ooh, there's a big spider right there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, um, woo. Uh, Okay, so that it that it if we see Corey jump in her chair, <laughs> just like a really big one, <laughs> and now it's I don't know where it is, so I hate that. Um, like spiders don't bother me, but like as soon as you can't see them, you know, like that that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Um, that's how I feel about cockroaches. Oh, oh, oh I can't with the cockroaches. Okay, <laughs> back to bread, folks. Um, <laughs> So did you know that that um, the speaking of bread and cockroaches, the oh my gosh, really, Corey? <laughs> well, you brought it up. Um, there is a certain amount of like, I think it's cockroach bits and like rat hairs and stuff like this that can be in flour that can pass inspection. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. You brought it up. I am speechless. I cannot believe you also, actually went there. in coffee and in chocolate. So welcome to yeah. America, people. <laughs> That's the FDA for you. Oh, my um, heavens. Okay. So phytic acid. Um, right. So there's the two thoughts of it is that, that, that it needs – that it's an anti-nutrient needs to be neutralized via proper – preparation and cooking because if it is not neutralized it will bind to these um it will not it will bind to nutrients and not allow your body to absorb those nutrients right okay yes the other train of thought is that um it is a necessary um compound 
and it will bind to um, uh, heavy metals and free radicals and help your body to excrete them. So, like I said, both of these I could see making sense. Um, I can say that if I don't properly prepare specifically um, um, oatmeal, I, I see this mostly with oatmeal and with, and with legumes. If I don't properly prepare those things, my stomach will hurt. So that is one way of, you know, of intuitive eating, figuring out what works for me. Um, That's very interesting. Um, you said Sue Becker. Yeah. So that's one of the books that I, that I used a lot. She, that book, um, what is it called? I wrote it down. Um, the essential homegrown home ground flower book is, um, has a lot of information on all of the things that we have talked about today. Um, so, okay. I'm, you know, I, oh, I was just going to say, I, I totally appreciate these two different perspectives. Um, the, I'm going to bring up one other name. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the other name that I'm going to bring up is Sally Norton, who she actually was recently interviewed on the West Name Price podcast. And she talks about oxalates and plant anti-nutrients in general. Um, and so this is somebody else who has done a lot of research and spent her life figuring out all of the anti-nutrients in plants. Um, but I, I actually com- totally agree with you, Corey, that I, th- I think that because we live in an age where we're saturated with information, rather than feeling frustrated that there's these two different opposing views on this particular subject, um, I think it's best to listen to our own bodies and our own gut instincts and what sits right with us and follow that. And, and for some, you know, that they might think like, no, it's common sense. If our ancestors have been doing this for however long, I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, and others might think that the other point of view makes sense to them and then they don't need to. And I'm with you, Corey, in that I, I actually do a mixture of both. I would say 80% of the time I am soaking, sprouting, fermenting and Every once in a while, um, maybe I, you know, if I'm making cookies, I am not making sourdough cookies. Um, If I'm making, I'm trying to think like, oh, yeah, literally two weeks ago I made zucchini bread, but with buckwheat, but I did not ferment the buckwheat. Mm -hmm. Um, I just made a quick bread. I wanted it that same day and I just made it happen. so anyway. So the interesting thing though is that um the um Sally Fallon uh sorry, Sally Fallon Morell, her school of thought, you know, with the Weston A. Price Foundation, um, meaning being that you should properly prepare these grains, and Sue Becker's school of thought being that um phytic acid is a good thing, 
uh, both of these schools of thought also, or, or both suggest that flour should be milled fresh and used fresh within like a couple hours of milling, if at all possible. Um, so they do align there um, and that you should be using the whole grain um, and not, not sifting it. Yeah. Yeah. So that definitely, you know, that's a consistency within those two. So um, yeah. let's touch really fast on what properly preparing means because there are different ways of doing this. And that was a question that we, that I did get on my um, Instagram question. So uh, Christine, do you want to answer what soaking is? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, how, okay. Just like how would so, you do it essentially? Yeah. 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 So there are, a few different ways to properly prepare grains. One of them is soaking. And this is basically when you allow a grain, um, even milled grains, to sit at room temperature with warm water and an acidic medium for at least seven hours. Um, and an acidic medium could be apple cider vinegar, lemon juice, a sourdough starter, kefir, uh, whey, um, yogurt. It could be anything like that. And basically what the soaking is doing with, along with the acidic medium is neutralizing the anti-nutrients in the grains. Um, that is the idea behind soaking. And soaking can then lead to sprouting. Um, do you want me to also share about sprouting or do you want to move into it? Wait, can you, you could, sprout If you're soaking something? without... Wait. Okay. Okay. Well, not. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> okay. So you cannot, you cannot sprout something that has been soaked with acid, right? Yeah. I. I would. Yeah. No. 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 You're right. You're okay. right. You cannot soak something that has been. Um, you cannot sprout something that has been soaked with an acid. Thank you. That's <laughs> what I was trying to say. You cannot sprout something that has been soaked with an acid, and if you've milled the grain already. Yeah, no. It's not going to sprout. No. Um, so when we're talking about sprouting, this would, yeah, totally. This would have to be something like legumes. Um, so lentils, that's a great example. You can take your lentils, put them in warm water, as long as they're not let them split. sit out. Right. Okay, fine. I mean, right? Me like the, it yeah. has to no, be the whole seed. The whole lent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and wait a few days or maybe it just takes like 24 hours and you'll see the little germ mm -hmm. starting to stick its little head out. And it's this tiny little like white slash green. It's green on the end, I think. Um, plant. It's starting to sprout. Right. Um, so I did. And this is. Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Okay. So I read something in Nourishing Traditions about this that was really interesting. And she's, Sally said that um, in uh, pre-industrial times, they would leave the grain on the, um, on the, the plant and it would start to sprout before it was harvested. So therefore... 
they potentially wouldn't have to do anything else with that grain. Oh, that is very interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So Sprouting is, is, if we're talking about nutrient density, it's one of the best ways to consume a grain mm-hmm. um, once it has been soaked and then sprouted. Yeah. So if you're going to sprout it at home to make flour, you would have to get the, the whole grain. You have to go through the whole sprouting process. Um, and then you have to dry the grain and then you have to mill the grain. So yeah, so it's going to be a long process. Yeah, it's a little more labor intensive. Yeah. But, you know, maybe totally worth it if you're um, kind of sensitive to, to grains, but you still want to be including them in your, in your diet. Yeah. Um, and then why don't you touch on souring or could, could this also be considered fermenting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So souring is just the process of making sourdough bread or sourdough, a sourdough product. Um, and this is where you're going to take your sourdough starter and add it to your flour and your water and some salt. And then you're basically letting time in all of these scenarios, in your soaking, in your souring and your sprouting, time is your best friend here. Um, and Mm. the kind of warmth, um, those all aid in the grain starting to die to break down. So like, if we go back to the beginning of the whole conversation, if we look at the grain itself, you know, what we're trying to do is sort of get the grain to start releasing the nutrients that it's holding. Right. Mm -hmm. So especially with sprouting, if you imagine a grain being planted in the ground, um, and the, all of these nutrients start being released to grow a new plant. Um, so what we're trying to do is kind of mimic what ma- nature would be doing um, to grow the plant. And that's how we're going to get the best nutrients from these grains. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I, if I remember correctly, a traditional sourdough is fermented for a minimum of 48 hours. Um, okay, so sourdough can be made, can be um, fermented with less time, just depending. It's just so dependent on so many factors. You know, like it's dependent on your, the temperature of your of your house and the temperature of the grain when you started the process or the temperature of the water when you started that. I mean, it's just like super dependent on everything. Um, yeah. And, uh, and the strength of your starter, that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm not going to say yes or no to that. I think that it's just really just dependent on, on a lot of factors. And when it comes to sourdough bread, the longer you are fermenting it, the more sour it will taste at the end. Um, yes. 
Okay. Simple, simple answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We don't have to go into the, we are definitely going to do a sourdough episode. It's possible that there will be a few, but, um, I was going to say something about this. Oh yes. Um, I, I think the other really big takeaway is this idea of rancid flour. So when we have the whole grains and then we're milling them fresh, mm-hmm. part of the reason why that's being done is to avoid consuming a rancid product. And in the same way in past episodes where we've talked about rancid oils and how they can be detrimental to our health, we would want to avoid that in flour if possible. Mm-hmm. Um so if you are at a stage, at the stage in your cooking career, career being your home <laughs> on a daily basis, <laughs> and you feel like you can tackle milling, by all means, that is, um, I think that's like a step above. Uh, but as I mentioned before, folks, that is not something that I have accomplished yet. I am not there yet. (laughs) Yeah. So the interesting thing about that conversation is that like, this is one of, it's the same conversation with, um, with brown rice versus white rice. Like if you are not milling your own flour, it potentially might be better to get non, not whole wheat flour because the whole wheat flour is going to have the, the all of the pro, all of the pieces of the wheat in it and therefore could potentially have gone bad on the shelf um i have i don't have these numbers exactly right but i've heard something along the lines of a bag of flour um is only good for 6 months but that it may have sat on the grocery like could have potentially sat on the grocery store shelves or have gotten to the grocery store shelves, you know, by the time you're getting it home, it's already been there for a year or something. Um, Mm. So this is one of those things that I think is not high on my list of like, if I were to, to suggest how, you know, where to start with changing your diet, this is not, this is not highest on my list. Um, milling your own flour, I mean, and baking your own sourdough bread. Um, I think, you know, this, if, if it's something that's interesting to you, if it's something that excites you, then, you know, definitely look into it. But if it's something that stresses you out, then, um, just buy, like you can buy sprouted, uh, whole wheat flour um, maybe not at like a, a dinky little grocery store like I have in, in our town, but like, especially definitely at a, at a Whole Foods or a Sprouts or something like that. Um, so if you are stressed out by the idea of figuring all of this out, here's what I would do. You know, if, if like flour, if all of this flour talk is overwhelming, this is the basics of what I would do. I would get a sprouted, um, organic, whole grain spelt maybe. And then I would freeze it. Flour, already milled flour. 
And, you know, if you want to go like top notch, find somebody locally who's milling it. Um, my friend, um, Brittany has a stone mill. She buys organic, um, wheat and then she mills it once a week and people come and pick it up at her house. So Hmm. you may have somebody local to you that's doing that. Um, and then on top of it, like you don't, you don't have to have, you can just buy bread from organic bread of heaven. (laughs) This is true. Right? Yeah. And I actually, I agree with that. I, the grains portion of nourishing traditions was the most intimidating to me. And that was the last section that I tackled. Like I was like, oh yeah, I'll do organ meats before I'll do grains. Um, because for me personally, it was just like, what? This is the way I have to eat all of my grains. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it felt, it felt overwhelming. Um, and actually you were the one that told me about organic bread of heaven and totally you know, is a game changer for me. Um, so don't worry, we're putting that in the show notes if you haven't heard of them. Um, I feel so silly that I didn't realize they were right outside of Chicago and I lived in Chicago the whole time and I had no idea. Oh, were they that close to where you were? Yes, they were. <laughs> you could have gone to visit I them. I know. It could have been like our a chapter event or something. Oh, that would have been there. so cool. I had no idea. Yeah, um, they, they are. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so like let's just let's let's break down really quickly. If you are going to the Recap. grocery store, yeah, here's our here's our 5 second wrap up of this episode. You're <laughs> you're going to the grocery store. You know, assuming that you have a um slightly bigger chain grocery store, you're not you're not going to your little dinky one. Um you're looking for organic flour you're looking for um not bleached not and no potassium bromate you might have to check the um ingredients for that you're looking for not enriched and um you're either going to use that at home by properly preparing it or you're going to get something that is sprouted already um like a spelt. I know that I have seen sprouted spelt flour at the grocery store. Um, and you're going to store it in the freezer. There we go. Hour and a half episode wrapped up. <laughs> I know, right, folks? You don't have to listen to the first, you know, hour and 30 minutes. Just uh, move the dial back to the last end three minutes. No, I'm kidding. Um, this was actually super interesting for me. Um, when we discussed doing this episode, I was like, uh, Corey, I'm going to back out of this and (laughs) I'll let you take the wheel on it. Um, Corey, take the wheel. (laughs) Uh, but (laughs) sorry, I, yeah, I should have not done that, but (laughs) I'm so glad you did. Uh, yeah, this is, this is when you've been recording for too long. (laughs) Um, no, super informative for me. I learned a ton. And actually, I'm I'm really excited to get other people on to talk a little bit more about this subject because it, it is fascinating. It's so interesting to, to learn how um, the plant is grown and how we actually use it 
for creating other products. When I was in Chicago, I actually went to a grain mill, which is pretty famous, not pretty famous, pretty big. Um, they do ship nationwide. They're called Janie's Mill. And they are one of the few in the Midwest that grows organic wheat and varieties and stuff like that. And we got to we got to see the farm, got to see the whole process of how they mill it. Um, it was a very cool experience. Um, I'm going to put that in the show notes too. There's another one but, in, um, I think it's in Massachusetts that was on that documentary that Michael Pollan did called Cooked, which is on Netflix. And I absolutely think everybody should watch it because it's fascinating. Um, but the one in Massachusetts is called, um, I'm going to have to double check this. It was called something like Berkshire Mountain Bakery or something. And they, I'm pretty sure that they ship milled flour, but they also ship um, bread products just like Organic Bread of Heaven does. So they have a sprouted spelt pizza crust you can buy and stuff like that. This is actually, I when I first started reading Nourishing Traditions and could not fathom um, – you know, making my own sourdough and stuff, but I knew that my daughter could potentially handle eating properly prepared wheat back when she was um, gluten intolerant. I decided to order um, from this bakery in Massachusetts and um, just to kind of test it to see if it bothered her at all um, before I decided whether I was going to put time into learning how to make it myself. Um, Mm. So... It, it was a, like a big deal for us at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Thank you for listening this far. If you made it all the way. I hope so. <laughs> I hope it wasn't boring. Um, I know, right? We will definitely be covering more episodes on this particular subject. We're going to talk about milling your own flour Um, I know gluten-free flours happen to be a really big topic that a lot of people were interested in. Um, so we didn't touch on that this time. Sourdough, nut flours, um, that's a whole nother. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Uh, We'll get into that. We, we do need to talk about that probably alongside the gluten-free flours. That might be a dual episode there, but, um, yeah, that's definitely a topic we'll we'll get into. And a lot of people had questions about that. Um, so stay tuned because that's coming. Yeah. Um, All right. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we love your reviews. We love when you guys send us DMs and ask for certain um, – Requests for episodes and stuff like that. We, we um, add it to our ever-growing I, spreadsheet of ideas. <laughs> we, yeah. And I'm going to read, uh, because we love reading your reviews, I'm going to read one real quick. So this one is from Steph. Thank you, Steph, for taking the time to write us a review. Um, she says, practical and informative. I've been listening to this podcast for over a year now, and it has helped me immensely as I transitioned myself and my family from a vegan diet. The series on what to eat for mealtimes set me up for success as we navigated the transition. Corey and Christine share excellent tips and tricks for nourishing your family while also staying within your means. 
They are both down to earth and have a great sense of humor. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, appreciate the wealth of information shared in these enjoyable conversations. My family and I are now thriving. Okay. Oh my gosh. Wow. I might have to do feel like I'm going to cry. <laughs> I know. That was like oh, no. the best way to end my night. Um, thank you, Steph. For those of you. Yeah. Thank you, Steph. We really appreciate that. Um, so if you want to be cool like Steph, <laughs> leave a review. Uh, we really need to get off yep okay we're just really thank you guys check the show notes for all the resources and good night (laughs) all right bye thanks for listening to modern ancestral mamas check out the show notes for the resources you can find christine on instagram at nourish the littles and online at nourishthelittles.com you can find Corey on instagram at For Nutrient Sake and online at fornutrientsake.com. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Ancestral Mamas. The information contained in this show is for informational purposes only. It should not be intended as medical advice and should not replace your relationship with your healthcare practitioner.